You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter number one in your Bibles this evening. Who needs a fill-in-the-blank sheet tonight? Do you need one? Fill-in-the-blank sheet? All right. Everybody's good? Oh, we got one, brother. All right, we got two. Fill in the blank sheets. Make it three. To keep those hands raised, we got three, brethren. (laughs) I tell you, it's feast or famine. All right, keep those hands raised. You got one back there, one over here, then birthday boy right down over here, Mr. Timothy Pinchok Chai. That's it, we're done? All right, you're sharing now. Okay. I think think we ran out. So you guys are going to have to look on with one. Oh, we got a couple here. Right over there. Ecclesiastes chapter number one in your Bibles. And then Brother Weldon, uh, Jace over here. I'm sorry, Jacob, my bad. You just got offended right there. Apologize. I'm getting everybody's name wrong tonight. Hopefully I get this name right. My mom is here tonight. Janet, no, Julie Reynolds right over here. And uh, so she's in town. So I was thinking about this now. Don't blame her for how I am, okay? All right, don't, don't be like, what did you do to this kid, okay? She did it right, all right? But she's with us for a few weeks, and uh, so hopefully you get by and get to greet her. Hey, this Sunday, we have our business meeting at 4.30, and we're also voting on some deacons this, this week. And uh, so at this time of year, the deacons are very insecure, so they will do anything for you. So stop by, see our de- No, I'm just kidding. They won't. But we have two new deacons that we're voting on. And uh, so be here this week. and You'll get to see who those are. And I'm going to have them. They don't know this, but I'm going to have them give a little testimony so that you can hear their, their testimony. And uh, so that way, if, you, if you're not familiar with them or you haven't greeted them, I think one you know pretty well. He's standing in the back back there, a little short little Englishman back there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we're going to vote on them. And I'm super excited about that. And uh, so anyway, just want to let that know. I think we're going to do like a a rating system now for our deacons where you can rate them out of 10 from 1 to 10. And uh, no, we're not doing that. I'm just kidding. Because they're they're going to be like, let's do a pastor rating. Okay, that's not going to work well. Ecclesiastes chapter number 1 in your Bibles. And uh, we are continuing our study that we just started on this book. And uh, if you remember... Well, let me just ask you, who remembers, I'm putting you on the spot, I'm going to ask you in just a second what the theme is, okay, so I'm going to come to you in just a second, but remember that Ecclesiastes is Solomon, who we believe wrote the book, viewing life from a human perspective, not a heavenly perspective. So, here it is, what is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, who's got it? Who knows? Say again now. That is correct. The emptiness of life without God. How many of you knew that? You raise your hand. Why didn't you raise your hands? I don't believe you, a bunch of liars. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm sure you did. I know you don't want to speak out in church. That's fine. That's fine. The emptiness of life without God. Think about that. That's what the conclusion of this book is. And uh, we started last week by looking at Solomon's thesis statement. And I didn't mean to bring back, you know, some PTSD from when you were in college and having to write papers or anything. But the thesis statement that he has is verse 2 and 3. Vanity of vanities, saith the Lord, uh, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So his, his thesis for this entire book that he's starting out with is emptiness. That's what vanity means. Uh, meaninglessness, futility. So he's like meaninglessness of meaninglessness. Uh, uh, futility of futility. That's what life is to him. Of all uh, the work that we do under the sun, there's nothing to show for it. So that's how positive he no it's a very negative pessimistic way of looking at things but remember this is his view and the phrase that he uses so often is the phrase under the sun and that was his viewpoint the things that are here on earth he's not viewing thinking about anything over the sun he's not thinking about heaven and god he's really viewing it from a human perspective not a heavenly perspective so we saw last week that was his thesis statement and then he goes from uh, his, his assertion that he makes there to his argument. And he tells us why he felt that way. Uh, you know, he talks about how there's, uh, there's no variety in life. There's all these different things that we saw from verses 4 through 11. And now today we're looking at verses 12 through 18. And we're going to see uh, not only his, we saw his argument and why he felt that way. But, but now we're going to look at how he got to that conclusion. How did Solomon get to the point where he's like, you know what, it's all vanity. Everything we do, you know, it's, it's not going to be done tomorrow. We've got to do it again. There's no variety. It's all the same thing over and over again. One person uh, gets born, then the next person dies, and no one remembers them. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. How do you get there? Well, let's look at some verses here, verses 12 through 18. He says this, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. We're going to explain some of these terms in a minute. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting or lacking cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, also, uh, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. So again, we're not looking at bright, sunny, happy verses. We're looking at a guy who got to the end uh, of, of a search that he made, looking in the wrong places for the meaning of life. So let's pray together, and then we'll just jump in here together tonight. Father, thank you again for the service so far. Thank you for those people here tonight that, that are here wanting to study and learn more about the Bible. And God, I pray that you would reward that desire that they have by giving them help and instruction and uh, becoming more and more real in their lives, in our lives. We love you. Bless the message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He's trying to find an answer to his own question that he's asking. What makes life worth living? In the 1940s, a man by the name of Viktor Frankl was a Jewish-Austrian man that was in, in, uh, imprisoned in the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. And he made it through the concentration camp and lived to tell about it. And after making it through, he was a, a psychologist, I believe, and he wrote a book on his own version of psychoanalysis uh, and things like that and, and uh, counseling called, uh, I think it was, 
logarthropy or something. It's a, it's a weird way of, uh, of saying a, a new form of therapy that he invented. But he wrote a book after going through the concentration camps, and it was entitled Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. Now, he was a religious person, but after he went through the concentration camps and all that he went through, this guy who lived into the 1990s, uh, the conclusion at the end of his book basically was this. There is no general reason for the meaning of life. That was his conclusion. You know, you, there's no super abundant, you know, overarching reason why there's meaning in life. And he said there's three ways you can find meaning in your life. You can find it through work, through love, or through suffering. And so he was basically saying you can find your own meaning in life, but there's really no meaning to life. And I think, you know, for a religious person, that's crazy to even think about. Because the Bible absolutely tells us that life has meaning. You know, you being here is not an accident. Well, oh, my parents didn't plan. You know, you're, you're not an accident. God has a purpose and plan for your life. Amen? And I hope you know that tonight. I hope you understand that, that you don't have to, it's not through work or through uh, finding love or suffering that you find meaning. It's through Jesus Christ. That's how you find meaning in this life. All right, so let's look down here, but look at verse number 12 and 13 again. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search. Now, seek means to find out. I want to find out. I want to search. The word search, if you want to fill in the blank there, is the word explore. It means to explore. He, what's he doing? He's searching for meaning. He's going on an exploration trying to find meaning. All right, I didn't ask. Does anybody need a pen tonight? Anybody need a pen? No? No, everyone's afraid to now. Pastor's going to make fun of me. No, I won't. Anybody need a pen? No? We're good? All right. Back to it. Here we go. So it means to explore. So the, the message tonight is exploring the meaning of life. He's setting out. He's saying, I gave my heart to search out, uh, to explore and find out what the meaning of life is. So as he's setting out to, to have his fill with everything, and, and you know, he's going to try all these different avenues to see, can I find the meaning of life in this? In the next chapter, he's going to talk about things that he accumulated and things that he got. And so he's going to say, can I find meaning in pleasure? Can I find meaning and purpose to my life in getting more things, right? So that, that's what he's going to look at in the next chapter. If I get more houses, am I going to find the meaning of life? If I get more uh, uh, you know, gold and silver and all these things, am I going to find the meaning of life if I have all that? And we're going to see what he says there. We already know the answer. But as he's beginning this journey to find the meaning of life, he's going to go down several different avenues to find the meaning of life. And uh, is life worth living? And so the first exploration, if you want to fill this in, his first exploration is into the realm of wisdom and knowledge. So in other words, he's going, I'll let you fill that in there, I won't just talk over you, but wisdom and knowledge. So that's what he's going to try first. He's going to try wisdom and knowledge He's going to try to accumulate as much wisdom and knowledge as he can, more than any other person living or has lived before him that's dead now. He's going to say, okay, I'm going to find out if, if I get as much wisdom as I can, and if I gain as much knowledge as I can, am I going to be able to go, oh, I got it. That's the meaning of life. Okay, that's why life's worth living, because once you get wisdom, boy, if I get a lot of wisdom, then I'm going to be happy. 
And if I get a lot of knowledge, then I'm going to be at peace and I'm going to know things. Well, if we just read the last two verses of the chapter, we find that that is the exact opposite of the conclusion that he comes to. So he's searching for wisdom, and uh, he's going to relate to us in these verses here what, uh, you know, his experience with his search for meaning. He's going to tell us how that happened how, and what happened when he went looking for wisdom and knowledge. So that's what Solomon is dealing with in these verses. He's saying, all right, here is my, uh, here's my thesis statement. It's all vanity. Hey, everybody, cheer up. Life's meaningless. Okay, that's his thesis. And then he's going to go, okay, and, and, and why I feel that way is because there's no variety in life. There's no finality. Nothing stays done. There's no satiety. If you remember that word from last week and, and some other things. And he says, well, how did I get there? I got there because I went looking and I thought, okay, I'm going to try to go down the, the, the avenue of wisdom and knowledge. If I can get all that there is of that, then I'm going to see if that will make me feel like life is worth living. Okay, so let's go into it and see what happens here. So when he's searching for meaning, notice first of all, in verse 13, the effort to obtain. The effort that he uses to obtain wisdom and knowledge. He's going to put some effort into this search. And I appreciate that. That, that Solomon was, was hey, if I'm going to find the meaning of life, I'm going to put my whole heart behind it. Look at verse number 13. And I gave my heart. I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the sun. What's that mean that he gave his heart? We would say, I applied myself. We would say it as, I devoted myself, or I, I set my mind to it. I concentrated on this. What did he concentrate on? I gave my heart. I, I set my mind to seek and search out, to explore, to find out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. Now that word, that phrase there, all things, that's a big statement. He wants to know everything about everything. He says, I, I went looking for every bit of knowledge, every bit of wisdom I could. Now we know that God gave Solomon a greater capacity, did he not? Remember, he, he, had, he had the dream, God came to him, and God says, what do you want? What, what would you like me to do for you? And Solomon asked for wisdom. And so God gave him more wisdom than anyone that's ever walked this earth besides the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so God gave him a greater capacity. And so Solomon's like, look, I'm going to search out everything I can. You ever talk to somebody, they know a little bit about everything? They know the soccer score from last week. They know how neuron, neutrons and protons and electrons work and you talk to them about, you know, uh, electricity, they got that figured out. You talk to them about astronomy, they got that figured out. You talk about, and, and it's like they just know a little bit about everything. Don't you hate those people? Just a little bit. You know, they're smart, but I'm just kidding. But, uh, you, you, and Solomon was just, can you imagine talking to Solomon? The wisest person. I mean, he, he knew the facts. Like, he, he didn't read the textbook, he was the textbook. I mean, like he, he knew everything, and he's searching everything out. But look what he says in verse 13 here. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. Sore travail means burdensome task. So he's saying, hey, look, I, I, I set my mind to, I applied myself to, to seek and search out wisdom about everything I could see and, and, and find out under the sun. And man, what a, what a burdensome task God has given us to be concerned with. And that's what it means to be exercised with, to be concerned about, to be thinking about. 
He said, it's, it's burdensome. It's, it's wearying to, to, to even think about all the things that there are in this life. Now, I wonder, with all this effort that he's putting into it, was it worth the effort? Well, at the end, I think we're going to see that, that the effort was, you know, you can be working very hard on something, but you can be working on the wrong thing. And he was exerting all of this effort and giving, and giving so much of his life and his mental capacity and his wisdom and all this to really the wrong thing. And uh, that is, is something we know that from the beginning of this book, we, we're not reading this as if we don't know what happens. We already know what happens. And we know he's barking up the wrong tree, to use a phrase from the south there, okay? So the effort to obtain wisdom and knowledge. But look at number, uh, verse 14. And secondly, I want you to see the exhaustion of wisdom and knowledge. He says, he, he, he claims that, that he knows it all. Look at verse 14. The exhaustion. Uh, he, he, he has exhausted all these resources. Verse 14. I have seen, here's this word again, all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He, that's a pretty big statement. He's like, I've seen it all. I've seen everything people live for. I've seen everything that they do and they work with. And I've read the books. I've talked to the people. I've seen it all. And every single thing that people do on this earth, every work, every bit of labor that they do is meaningless. Because, you know, you sow a field and you reap a field. Well, guess what? you got to do it again. And just these thoughts that he's having where he says, I've seen it all. I've exhausted all the wisdom and knowledge and, and every way to find meaning. And I've just found no meaning in life. So that's what he claims. He claims to have seen it all. And, uh, and again, we looked at some of the reasons last week where, why he got to that conclusion. Now, did he really see it all? I, I, don't, I can't see how it's possible, but, I mean, he claims it. Maybe it's just hyperbole. But then I look at the end of the verse there. It says, all is vanity, meaninglessness. And then he uses this phrase, and he uses it several times in here, so we've got to know what it means, and vexation of spirit. Vexation of spirit, literally translated, means grasping for the wind. Chasing after the wind. You ever try to grab the wind? Go do that tomorrow, and you get arrested and put in the loony bin. Okay? I'm going to grab that wind as much as I can. You're going to get, you, people are going to, actually, you probably fit right in in our city. I mean, I saw some guy walking on the street today. looked like he was trying to grab the wind. But, you know, he's a regular around here. So I was like, hey, have a good time, you know. But, uh, but, but that's what it means. Like, it's, you're reaching for something and trying to grab something that is unattainable. You can't latch on to the wind. And he's saying, look, and, and, and what would that do to you if you're, if you're continually trying to grab the wind? It's going to be frustrating to you. That is vexation of spirit. And what he's saying here is everything that I see in life where, where you work and labor for, all it leads to is a feeling of emptiness and it leads to a feeling of just frustration where you just feel like you're grabbing after the wind and you have nothing to show for it. That's Solomon's mindset. Okay, so the exhaustion of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I got it all, and I still find that I'm just chasing the wind. Number three there, in verse number 15, we see the examples of the limits of wisdom and knowledge. Look at verse 15. By the way, verse 15 is a proverb. It's a wise saying. It, it sounds different than all the other verses because it could easily fit into the book of Proverbs. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. 
So that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting or lacking cannot be numbered or counted. So this is a, a, a supposed wise saying, a proverb. But the things that are wrong, what he's saying here, the things that are wrong can't be fixed. And the things that we don't know can't even be numbered. There, there's so much out there. The, the things that are crooked, we can't make them straight. The things that we don't even know about, I mean, like, how can we number things that aren't there? And, 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 and so what is he saying? Write this in. Wisdom and knowledge have limits. Wisdom and knowledge have limits. You may be the smartest, wisest person in the world, but there are limits to what you can do. Nobody flew here with your cape. Nobody's in two places at one time. We're all, we are all trapped by time. We are limited by time and space. We are limited by other human beings. You ever tried to help someone who refused to be helped? You may have all the wisdom in the world and be like, I can help you. And they're like, I'm good, thank you. No, but you need help. It's obvious. I do need help. Well, let me help you. No. And, and I mean, you, you can have that knowledge, but what happened is you're limited. You can't heal the sick. Uh, you can't do, there's a lot of things you can't do. You can't teach someone who doesn't want to be taught. I try every week in chapel in our Christian school. Uh, but, you know, there are limits. I think about Stephen Hawking. How many of you know the name Stephen Hawking? Can I just see so I know if you know who I'm talking about? Okay, so Stephen Hawking died recently, but he was the guy that was in a wheelchair. He had a, he had a uh, I forget what it was right now, the disease he had, but he really couldn't even move, or he just could move his finger a little bit, and, and he was regarded as the smartest man in the world by many people, astrophysicists. He wrote the theory of everything, and just, uh, you know, he, he had all these books that he wrote, and he got to the point where... He just, and I don't know, I believe in my heart that a lot of people that have severe physical disabilities, it's not that they don't believe in God, my belief is that they hate God for what happened to them. And he was a man that, you know, tried to, by science, reason away God. Which, by the way, how can you be the smartest man in the world and not know that? I believe he did believe in God. In fact, in some of his books, he alluded to it. But... I'll tell you, there's limits. He was the, supposedly the smartest man in the world. He was confined to a wheelchair. So Solomon is like, look, I can have all the knowledge and wisdom in the world, but the crooked things aren't going to be made straight. I can have all the wisdom and knowledge in the world, but, but I mean, the sand on the seashore can't even number the things that we don't know. So uh, there are limits to what we can know. And I think it's a good day in our life when we learn that we cannot fix everybody else's problems. Some of you need to learn that lesson. You cannot fix everybody else's problems. They won't let you, and maybe you don't have the answers. We cannot fix all the problems in the world. I wish we could. I wish that video ended with him, with the, the, the missionary from Ukraine saying, you know what? Trucks just rolled in with the title of Gethsemane Baptist Church on the side. All is well. I, I wish we could do things like that. But can we be honest? You can't even fix your own problems. Not without Christ. He's the one fixing them. So, so it's a good day when we take the weight of the world off our shoulders, realizing that, that we don't have to fix everybody else's problems. We have limits, and it is important to know that. One of my phrases, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to give you an insight into my counseling. My wife knows where I'm going with this. So I've had people come to me for counsel. And I'm going to tell you something. I lay on them this nugget all the time. You ready for this? This, this pearl of wisdom. They'll tell me about stuff that's going on in their life, and I'll say, you know what? 
Here's a motto that I go by. There is what a man can do, and there's what a man can't do. And just knowing your limits. You want to know where I learned that? Captain Jack Sparrow, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pastor, where do you get your wisdom from? Johnny Depp. No, but uh, that, is, that is where I heard the phrase. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> some of you are like, that's it. We're canceling the appointment, Pastor. We don't need it. We're just going to go watch some Disney movies and uh, get our counsel there. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I watched that movie a long time ago, and I heard that phrase, and I was like, that's actually pretty profound. And I have said that to myself so many times and claimed it as my own. No, I haven't, but uh, I actually tell people. But what, it, it's a great phrase. Sometimes we try to do so many different things, and we got this one on, this is, but there is only what you can do and what you cannot do. And you have to know your limitations. I'm glad God knows our limitations. I'm glad he does. Remember when Elijah was on the mountain and he goes running all the, 16 miles, he goes running after the whole thing on the Mount of Carmel with, with uh, uh, the prophets of Baal and all that. He's chasing down it. And then God tells him the next day when he gets discouraged, he says, sends an angel and says, lay down and rest and eat some food. The journey's too great for thee. God knew the journey was too great for him. What's he saying? He said, I know your limitations. So it's, an, it's a good day when we learn that we have limitations and we can't fix everybody else's problems. And honestly, it's not all on us to do that. God gives you the portion that you can handle. Don't take more than he gives. I think about uh, Thanksgiving. You know, we always get more than we can eat, right? God never gives, puts more on your plate than you can handle. We put more on our plate than we can handle. And sometimes we let other people put more on our plate than we can handle. So the examples of wisdom and uh, the, the examples of the limits of wisdom and knowledge. Number four, did I just lose like a bunch of respect in this room after saying what I got that from? All right, maybe for some I gained respect. I don't know. Number four, the experience of wisdom and knowledge. Number four, the experience. Look at verse 16. He uses this word here. Verse 16. I commune with mine, by the way, let me just stop and say, I read a lot of books on, on counseling, okay? All right, I just want to say that. But Jack Sparrow was the best I've heard so far. All right. <laughs> I commune with mine own heart, saying, lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. What's he saying? He said, he's basically saying, I already knew a lot. I already had wisdom. I already, he says there at the beginning of the verse, I commune with mine own heart. What's he saying? That means I said to myself. He's having an internal conversation. He's saying, I commune with my own heart. I said to myself, self, I am come to great estate. And I have gotten, or you, if he's talking to himself in first person, I don't know, you've gotten more wisdom than all they that have been in Jerusalem before you. And your heart had great experience with wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, look, he was already wise. He was already knowledgeable. He was already probably the wisest man to ever live. And now he's wanting to add to that. God had already granted him that request. And he's saying, look, I already had wisdom. I already had knowledge. And then, you know, I'm adding more and more to it to become not only the wisest, but the wisest among the wisest that's ever been on earth. I gained all of this wisdom and knowledge. So he's wanting you to see that, that yeah, it's not like he was just saying, yeah, I tried wisdom and I don't like it. 
You ever have somebody like, uh, some of, you know, two types of people in this room. Some of you are tasters, and some of you are not. That's the two types of people. Ever, you know, somebody in your home is like, mm, this is delicious, taste this. And then other people are like, get that away from me, I don't want to taste it. I ordered what I wanted. If I wanted some of what you had, I would have ordered that. Some of you are fry takers. You get some fries? Let me get some of those fries. You should have ordered fries. You know what I'm saying? But, but I'm a taster. When my wife orders something, I just assume it's communal. I'm like, mmm, that's good. Can I have a bite? And I, I have to restrain myself. And I'm always like, babe, you got to try this. And she's like, I ordered what I wanted. I don't want yours. And I'm like, no, you got to try this. You know, so there's, there's tasters and there's non-tasters, right? And uh, what, what do we want? We want someone to experience. Oh, you'll like this if you try it. Maybe you won't. And Solomon did not just act like someone who's like, no, I don't want to try it. No, I don't want to try it. No, he dove in. He tried everything. He said, I got all the knowledge I could, all the wisdom I could. And you know what? I got nothing. I got nothing. The experience. He, he experienced all of that. Number five. But I want you to see this. Verse number 17. The experiment for wisdom and knowledge. This is interesting to me. This is a little bit, a little bit crazy. Look what he says here, and again he uses this phrase in verse 17, and I gave my heart. That's the same phrase he used in verse 13, basically saying, you know, I, I plunged myself into this. I, I applied myself. I devoted myself to this. I gave my heart. I'm searching it out with diligent effort. But notice what he plunged his heart into, verse 17. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Let me help you with this. What is madness? It's the opposite of wisdom. Fill that in. It is the opposite of wisdom. Madness means delusion. If we say someone's mad in, in the old sense, not in our modern day sense, it would mean like they're deluded. They're kind of, oof. You know, we're doing this number, you know, oh, they're mad, you know. It means an extreme lack of understanding and wisdom. An extreme lack is what the word means. It means foolish behavior. So that's what he's plunging himself into. He said, look, I've got all this wisdom, all that I can get. And you know what? I'm also looking into madness and folly. What's folly? Foolishness. That which lacks prudence, wisdom, and insight, showing a lack of understanding. So what's he doing? He, he's going down the rabbit hole of madness to learn what's down there. I mean, he's searching in every corner. He's like, I know what wisdom is, but you know what those crazy guys on the corner say? I'm going to jump into that too. You know what those guys who come to our street with the white shirt and the name tag say? I'm going to jump all the way into that and learn that too. You know what the people that come to, to, to you know, that, that have the, the temple down the street, they're all bowing and worshiping. I'm going to jump into that too. I'm going to figure it all out. I'm going to hear what everybody has to say. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. But his conclusion was, look at the end of that verse. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. Yeah, I think so. Big shock, right? You jump down the rabbit hole of insanity, and you come back, and you're like, you know what? There's nothing down there either. Yeah, so he, that was his experiment, though. He's like, you know what? I'm going to try everything. I'm going to try uh, uh, you know, the, all the wise things we know, but I'm going to try all the crazy stuff, too. You know, this mentality sometimes we have in our culture is, is you know, I have to try it to see if I like it. You, you know, I, have to, I just want to try it one time. When God says a lot of things we're supposed to abstain from, 
Never let it touch our lips. Never let it touch our body. Never let it go into our system. There's a lot of things that God says abstain from. Don't, don't even try it one time. And so that's a dangerous philosophy that he has. And he says, hey, I went all the way down that rabbit hole and there was nothing, no substance. I'm grasping after the wind down there too. The last one, then I'm going to give you a couple thoughts. Because I don't like to end the message with all this negativity. So I'm going to give us some thoughts at the end here. But the last thing in verse 18, we see now the end of the pursuit for wisdom and knowledge. The end of the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. For in much wisdom... So this is conclusion about everything we just read. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. So, but remember at the beginning, I mean, he was going into this thinking, hey, I'm going to try to find out if wisdom and knowledge and understanding, if that's the road to happiness, if that's the road to finding meaning in life. You know what? He got to the end of all that knowledge. And he says, in much wisdom is grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. We put a lot of stock on knowledge in our world today. But it's so funny to me that the knowledge that we want to know about completely excludes God, who gave us any amount of knowledge and wisdom we have. It's ridiculous. So this is the second proverb. In much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge, uh, knowledge increases sorrow. That, that reads just like a proverb. In fact, it is one. The same as in the, the other verse 15 that we just read. So here's what he found out. Searching for wisdom and searching for, for knowledge, he finds out it doesn't work. I still don't have purpose. Life still feels meaningless. Life still feels empty. It still feels like it's worthless and, and not worth living. After all this wisdom, wisdom, bring grief, uh, wisdom brings grief. More knowledge means more sorrow. Why that conclusion? Why did he come to that conclusion? And I want to say, it writes in here, because the work never ends. The work never ends. You may know how to fix things, but as I mentioned earlier, you're limited by time and space and people and many other factors. And then you fix one thing and another one breaks. The, the more wisdom and knowledge you have, the more you see the problems of this world. Look, there were some things you didn't know tonight and then you came in here and sat down and you watched a video from a guy in Ukraine. Did that make you happy? Did that knowledge just be like, that felt good to know that missiles are flying over this guy's head? No, it doesn't feel good. It makes you sad. It makes you think, what can I do to help? How can I help these people? And then you realize, oh yeah, not much. How can you help a nation of a million people? We give, our church did give, but with more knowledge, more sorrow. More wisdom, more sorrow, more grief. And he's saying, look, the more I've learned about life and the more I've learned about people and the more I've learned about church and the more I've learned about, uh, you know, he didn't have church as we know it back then, but the more I've learned about all these things and the more grief I've had in my life, not the more, not the more happiness or joy. So he gets to the end of this search for meaning through wisdom and knowledge and basically he's back to square one. And so he's reliving this. He's saying, look, this is my thesis, and here's you know, why I feel that way, and here's how I got there. I looked for it in wisdom and knowledge, and you know what? I found nothing. Let me give you a couple of thoughts and some, some things to consider about this passage 
as we get ready to leave tonight. First of all, I want to encourage you to be careful what you say in your heart. Be careful what you say in your heart. Not everything Solomon says here is true, but they're from his perspective. Solomon mentions his own heart four times in this passage. He says, uh, I gave my heart. I communed with my heart. Uh, I, I, he says his heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And then he said again at the end that he gave his heart to know wisdom. So he's talking to his own heart in verse 16. I commune with my own heart and I said to myself this and this and this and this. And he's talking to himself. But you know, this was the same man that wrote the book of Proverbs. And you know what one of the Proverbs he wrote years before this passage? You know what he said in his very own proverb? Fill it in. He that trusteth at his own heart is a fool. He said that. He had enough godly wisdom to know that. What happened? Well, he started looking very humanistically at things in life. And now he's talking to his own heart. But he that trusts his own heart is a fool. The heart is deceitful above, above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Can I just say there's danger in self-talk? We all talk to ourselves. Some of us are just crazy enough to do it out loud. But we all have conversations within our own heart. Everybody does. You know, why'd they say that? What'd they mean by that? And it's dangerous when you start listening to your own heart and coming up with conclusions and coming up with, oh, well, I, I, that's what they meant. I know that's what they meant because they're like it. And now you're forming all of these conclusions because you listen to your own deceitful heart. The truth is, if someone says something to you, you may not know why they said it. So why even speculate? I mean, there's, there's so many times that, that we trust our self-talk, and it's especially dangerous if you're like Solomon, and you're like, man, I had all the wisdom and knowledge in the world. I'm the smartest guy to ever live. I had everything. I searched out it all. I know everything. That's dangerous. He didn't know it all. You know, I love, I love the book of Job. At the end of Job, Job gets to the end, and he's like, I'm a righteous man. You know, God, why am I suffering? And then God comes to the end when Job's, you know, Job had some stuff to complain about. But he gets to the end and God says, were you there when I formed the world? Job, where were you when I created Leviathan and put him in the deep? Where were you? And it's just like this chilling statement where you're like, every time I read it, I kind of go, <laughs> like that's the sound I make, like, I'm glad I'm not Job. God blessed Job abundantly after that. Of course he did. And he blessed him before all this tragedy too. But what was he doing? He was showing the, the most righteous man that you ain't righteous. Here he's showing the wisest man you're a fool. That's what the passages we're looking at is talking about. So be careful what you say in your heart. Would you write this in? Your self-talk is important. Understatement of the night. Your self-talk is important. Some, are you feeding lies back into your mind? Are you reading into things? Are you encouraging a negative mindset within yourself? I want to just say this, write this in too, and I'll go quickly here. We've got about seven or eight minutes, I'm done. If you have confusion in your mind, and you're like, I just don't even know what to think about this, can I encourage you to go back to the Bible? The Bible sorts that kind of stuff out. Helps you think right. Let the word sort you out. I'm confused. Get back to the book. God's not the author of confusion. I know my time's running out. Thank you very much.
Be careful. Be careful what you say in your heart. Secondly, be careful what you search for. Be careful what you search for. Solomon set his heart to know wisdom. And then he said, now I'm going to also search out madness and folly. Be careful what you're searching for. Why didn't he just say, you know what, I'm going to just search out God? Because I guarantee you, had he done that, he would have never come to the end of all wisdom and all knowledge. You can't figure God all the way out. He's too big. He's too smart. He's too wise. He's too good. But he didn't set his heart to know God. And by the way, this is the same guy we read a minute ago that talked about his own heart. But you know, he's deciding he's going to search out all this stuff. He also said this. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with me, so thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, apply thine heart unto understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for the understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her, same words, as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand, not the meaning of life, the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Verse 9, then thou shalt understand righteousness and judgment and equity, every good path. So had he been seeking God and seeking godly wisdom and godly knowledge, God said, you would have found out the fear of the Lord. You would have had purpose. You would have found righteousness and equity. You would have found peace instead of saying that you found nothing and you're grasping at the wind. Solomon had the answers. He wrote the answers. And he flips back on it. I wonder what you're searching for. Are you searching for a deeper walk with God? Are you searching for God's will in a situation? Are you searching for a spouse? Are you searching for a greater influence? Are you searching for a better job? Are you searching for a cure? Are you searching for a better relationship? But we can also search for things that aren't good. We can search for prominence. We can search for a position that we want to have over people. We can search for money. We can search for popularity. We can search to have a million followers on TikTok because we want to feel good about ourselves. We can search to be respected and honored. What are you searching for? Be careful. Number, number three, be careful why you search for it. Why do you want what you want? What is the motive behind it? <clears throat> the next blank there. We know that God is very interested in our motives. God sees and uncovers our heart. One of my favorite transitions between verses in Scripture is, uh, is Jeremiah 17.9 and Jeremiah 17.10. So Jeremiah 17.9, we just a moment ago said, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse says, I, the Lord, search the heart. So before we're like, who can even understand the heart? The next verse, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God's interested, very interested, not just in what you do, but in why you do it. You're doing it to be seen of men? Remember the Pharisees? They did everything. You know, they're cleaning up, making sure everybody saw them. You know, they wait till people gather around before they start praying publicly. When, they're, when the offering plates pass around, they're like, check this out, as they gave. You know. And God says, you know what you guys got? You, you got your reward. Here's your reward. People around you are going to be like, wow, they're good. They're good people. That's your reward. That's all you get. Because God said there are some things you do in secret. Why? 
because your motive matters. You better look at why you're doing what you're doing. You better look at what you're searching for and why you're searching for it. And lastly, be careful where you search for it. Some people look for relationships in all the wrong places. I think there was a song a long time ago, looking for love in all the wrong places or something like that. Some people look for meaning in the wrong places. Some people look for jobs in the wrong places. Money, friends in the wrong places. Now, I know I gave you the last blank, but let's not start our cars yet, okay? Give me two minutes, we'll be done. Some people, listen to this, some people even search for God in the wrong places. And they could be legitimately wanting to know God, but they just get caught up in, the, in a cult or in a false religion or something else. It seems like Solomon had all the answers except the right one. He was looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place for the wrong reason. Something happened between Solomon's earlier life and later life. We know his heart was turned by a lot of wives that he had who worshiped false gods. But he went from having the answers and giving people these great things that we still talk about, these wise words, to saying, I've tried everything and I've got nothing. Man, he lost it. And I want to just encourage you tonight to consider, hey, what, what are you searching for? Why are you searching for it? Where are you searching for it? And then the last thing on your sheet there, what conversations are going on in your heart? Be very careful. Be very careful that life, as we talked about the first week, life doesn't sour you. That you're very careful that, that you are, your, your, your inner mind, your, the, the, the inner voice inside of you is, is speaking truth. Get the Bible in. Get the Bible in your life. Just some thoughts tonight about exploring the meaning of life and how Solomon got here. We're going to look at next time another avenue that he looks down to say, can I find meaning there? Father, bless, I pray, uh, us tonight as we hear this Bible study and we look into it. God, I really pray that we would consider these things tonight. What are we